0: Previously on the Discover the Word podcast, in part one of our study called When We Pray Like Jesus.
1: We all have Mm -hmm. struggles with prayer, Mm -hmm. but it's been a struggle for me, this topic of prayer. And so we're going to start a series on prayer, and I'm super excited about it because this is a kind of a pop. It's a paradigm shift that I've seen in scripture, and it's a prayer from Jesus. It's a very simple prayer we've heard a million times Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. What's happened to me is I've spent some time in that one sentence as I've been blown away. How does Jesus pray two seemingly opposite requests in one sentence? Take this cup, what I want, yet not my will, what you want, God.
0: And so continue to explore how this two-sided prayer, Jesus prayed, can be a model for us as we pray, as Elisa Morgan, Marty Hahn, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day move into part two of When We Pray Like Jesus, here on the Discover the Word podcast. And thanks for being part of the Discover the Word group on Discover the Word. We explore the scriptures together and invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the Bible, uh, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. And as Elisa said, in this two-part series of conversations called When We Pray Like Jesus, uh, we're digging into the subject of prayer and a prayer Jesus prayed that models for us a way of praying. Throughout these conversations, Elise has been using the image of a coin to help us see how praying this way is kind of like two sides of the same coin. And so we can do both. We can pray the, what she's called, honest side, honestly pouring our heart out to God and expressing what we want. But we can also pray the abandoned side, in which we abandon our will to be satisfied with God's will, trusting Him for what's best. And so in part one of this podcast, we talk mainly about the honest side of the praying coin. Now we'll pick up in part two of this study of Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before his crucifixion, the abandoned side of prayer. And then uh, later on in part two, uh, we'll also discover that there may even be a third side to the coin. That's intriguing. So let's listen as Lisa begins this part by asking Mart and Bill and Daniel this question.
1: Can you define the word abandon? What's involved with that?
0: Leave everything.
1: Leave everything.
2: I think of an abandoned building. Yeah, I do too. That yeah. comes
1: to
3: mind, like yeah. with the
1: windows shot out and yeah. I think it can have a kind of a negative connotation. You know, just abandoned, not cherished, not valued, yeah. old, corrupt, dilapidated. Okay, what else comes to mind with the word abandon?
3: In a family situation where mm. the provider just abandons, leaves behind.
1: Mm-hmm. These are not really positive images we're bringing up. Are there positive uses of the word abandon?
3: If you leave behind a way of life that, uh, okay. a life of addiction and mm-hmm. violence and self-centeredness.
2: Okay. Well, they talk about sometimes in combat somebody who does something very heroic. They acted with reckless abandon. There's one phrase.
1: Okay. How about if we apply it to love? What happens to the word there?
3: You end up with a positive goal.
1: Yeah. There's this kind of falling away of everything that doesn't matter and a beautiful remaining of all that matters. I'm abandoned into this relationship. Yeah, if it's
3: pure. If yeah. it's pure. Because I mean, a lot of love it depends on what you yeah. mean by it, right? Yeah,
1: Yeah. I think there is a pure meaning and definition to this word abandon And that's where I want to take us as we flip the coin, as we turn the coin over very intentionally, this two-sided prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. One side was honest, the other side is abandoned.
3: When you say one side is honest, the other is abandoned, I think we've been saying where there's a side that is just honest, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. The other side is also honest, but it's a different kind of Giving of oneself.
1: Yeah, giving of oneself. Yeah, because in
3: order for abandon
2: to work in the positive context, there has to be some trust. Yeah. There has okay. to be trust in the person that you're abandoning yourself to.
1: But what are we talking about? Where are we?
2: Garden of Gethsemane. Okay. Jesus prays, Father, if it be possible, let this cup, the anticipated suffering of the cross, pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done.
1: In fact, let's read in Mark fourteen, thirty-two to forty-two. And we're talking about this prayer that Jesus prayed. It's a prayer contained in three of the four gospels. In Matthew, in Mark, and in Luke, it's prayed. And then John actually alludes to the prayer, even though he doesn't report it and record mm-hmm. it in the same way. Listen as we read this, as we'll go around. Let's listen for this two sided prayer and what does it mean? Mark fourteen, thirty two, Bill, you want to start?
2: Okay. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray.
4: He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of
3: death. Stay here and keep watch with me.
1: Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass from him.
3: Abba,
2: Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me
3: yet not what I will, but what you will.
1: There's the prayer. Okay, verse 37, Mark.
3: And then he returned and found the disciples asleep, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep, watch, and pray, so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak.
4: Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them,
2: Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hours come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer.
1: Jesus prays this prayer three times in each record. What we're looking at is a prayer practice of Jesus that he prayed in probably the deepest night of his life, where he begs God to remove the cup of suffering going to the cross. And then he says, yet not my will. So we looked last week at how he prayed honestly, take this cup. And yeah. he's overwhelmed to the point yeah, of death.
4: He's, he's falling on the ground. He's kneeling. Yeah. He's desperate. He's asking his friends to sit with him and stay awake with him because he's in this moment of darkness. And so that yeah. first side of the coin that we keep alluding to is that this cup, this tough time, this darkness that Jesus is in is the darkest time of his life up to this
1: point. Mm. And he models this honesty that he can have with his father. So he prays this honestly. And now we're looking at this other side of this coin. It's a prayer, not my will. It's a prayer of abandon. It's a prayer of giving up what I was about and abandoning myself towards what you are about, God. Eugene Peterson in the message, puts it this way. Papa, Father, you can, can't you? Get me out of this, is the honest, and then he goes on. But yet, not what I want, what you want. What's really important here is to understand nobody's making Jesus flip to the other side. He naturally and intentionally embraces god's will rather than his own you know so thinking about in our lives we think take this cup take away what i don't want in my life god take away this pain take away this misunderstanding take away this disappointment and then no not what i want god what you want is where we shift i think about philippians 2 5 to 8 and let's look at what maybe motivated jesus how he could move to this point of abandon you want to start mart
3: okay paul writes you must have The same attitude that Christ Jesus had.
4: Who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited.
2: But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men.
1: And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. One of the pieces that stands out to me regarding this kind of abandonment is that it's a voluntary action. We know this means that Jesus laid aside some of his godly attributes. There's a voluntary choice in this. He humbled himself. So abandon comes out of a a relationship of depth, of trust even.
4: Yeah, you mentioned (laughs) the actions of Christ in this passage, he empties himself. He takes the form of a slave. He's born in human likeness. He's found in human form. He humbled himself. He became obedient. We see Christ being very intentional mm-hmm. about taking on this humility of abandoning himself to God's will.
1: It's hard for us to understand how he can be on the one hand so honest and then so intentionally you know, exhibit abandon the way he does. He's still in
3: an honest way, right? But how do you see that, Mark? I mean, oftentimes when I try to get to that place in prayer, I really have a lot of Mm self-doubts. I feel like I should be saying this, but do I really mean (laughs) it? I love that. I'm getting the sense from what we're talking about that Jesus really meant not only, please take this cup Mm -hmm. from me, Mm -hmm. but when he turned to the other side, he honestly meant, Mm -hmm. but nevertheless, not my will. And that's part of how we see Jesus
2: living out the incarnation, because he says, I've come to do the will of him who sent me. This is kind of the capstone of that commitment, but it's a commitment that's still laced with that honesty of, I really don't want to go there.
1: Hmm. I think we minimize God's power in him and the power available to us. You know, it's like, can we see his honesty and can we see his honest Abandoned. You know, here's Philippians where he lays it all down. But then in John 1, we know that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So as Jesus is in the garden and he's honestly saying, take this cup, he's also remembering who he is with his Father, what God's called him to be on this planet. And he laces those two together.
4: Well, and where we started this conversation on day one... Was well, talking about the prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples, which starts off with, Our Father in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And so, even then, in the same way that Jesus invited us to pray for God to relieve that pressure, to deliver us from that cup, in the same way, Jesus is inviting us to also say, not my will, not my kingdom come, but your kingdom come and your will be done.
2: But he also in that same prayer prayed, deliver us from evil. Mm-hmm. So you see both yeah. sides of the prayer coin right there.
1: You do. So this abandoned that Jesus is exhibiting for us is not a flippant, easy to offer obedience. It's a deep thought about expression that comes out of an honest plea that God remove the cup and a deep dependent trust that what God will do in the long run is both for Jesus' best and for God's overall love for his people exhibited on the cross for us all. Okay, I want to jump right into a really heavy passage, Hebrews 5, 8, it says, Son, though he was, meaning Jesus, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Does anything kind of go, wait a minute, I'll read it again. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Learned. learned. Makes
4: it sound like he doesn't know something.
1: Jesus. Yeah. Jesus needed to learn something, wait, what? That
3: means even though he was the son of God, mm-hmm. right?
1: Well, it's capital S, son. Yeah. yeah. So... There is that.
3: In the
4: Greek, there are no capitalized.
3: Oh, come letters.
1: on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading right here in my Bible, and it's capitalized.
4: <laughs> I mean, I would like to put this, the first few words of this verse, up on the door for my boy's bedroom. Because huh. you know, I have two sons, and it would be nice for them, sons though they are of mine, they learned <laughs> obedience.
1: Preach that over them. <laughs> what does it mean that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered? How did that happen?
2: This is where we get into mysterious stuff that's beyond us. Uh And when we try to explain it, we tend to make a mess out of it. You know, I always heard it explained that there was a perfect cognitive knowledge that Jesus had as the second person of the Trinity before the Incarnation. But that cognitive knowledge had to become experiential knowledge. In in his humanity. In his humanity. And I don't even know how I feel about that. That's what I was taught.
1: We're in the weeds, and I know we're talking about, for this last several discussions, really a two-week series on a prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he would go to the cross. He prayed in one breath, Lord, take this cup, yet not my will. And so we looked at the whole concept of he prayed honestly, and now we're looking at how he prayed abandonedly. And Hebrews 5, 8 shed some kind of light on that. He prayed abandonedly, and he learned obedience through what he suffered. How did he go from praying so honestly to praying so abandonedly? And that's what we want to focus in on today. But let's read the passage, because I think it'll inform us a bit before we get lost completely here. We're going to read Mark 14, 32 to 42. Who wants to start us? You want to, Mark? Okay.
3: They, meaning the disciples, went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed.
4: My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch.
2: And he went a little bit beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by.
1: Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will.
3: And then he returned and found the disciples asleep. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep, watch, pray, so that you won't give in to temptation. For the Spirit is willing, but this body is weak.
4: Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping. Because their eyes were heavy, they did not know what to say to him.
2: And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It's enough. The hour's come, behold the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Arise, let us be going; behold, the one who betrays me is at hand.
1: Okay, so the Hebrews is saying that the son learned obedience from what he suffered. He's suffering greatly in this passage. Yeah. Is it the lessons of suffering? that moves him from, take this cup, an honest prayer, to, not my will, a prayer of abandon?
2: What we know is that there was an element of suffering throughout Jesus' incarnate experience. I mean, there were times when he suffered hunger. There were times he suffered deprivation. So there were elements of suffering that probably he was learning experientially from the whole time. But when we think of the suffering of Jesus for us, It began here. Usually we think of it in the beatings and the cross, but it really started here.
1: If we think about how to personalize this prayer of abandon, we've personalized the prayer of honesty. If Jesus could be that honest before his father, we can be that honest before our father. I'm thinking, now, how do I personalize the abandoned prayer? You know, maybe Luke gives us some insight. His version of this story is in Luke 22. And he's just prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done in verse 42. But then in verse 43, what happens? 43 and 44. An
4: angel shows up and strengthens him.
1: Okay. And then he prays even more earnestly after mm-hmm. that being in anguish and i think it's almost like god comes and ministers to him even more personally mm-hmm. and is that an element that helps him to quote learn to move into abandon
2: if so this is something that he had experienced previously because after the temptations it mm-hmm. says the angels came and ministered to him it's an echo of that so there's it? a strengthening in times of high stress that happens at the beginning of his ministry and then again mm-hmm. at the end.
1: You're talking about in Luke chapter 4. Mm-hmm. Actually, we're told by Luke that Satan left him until an opportune time. Well, this seems like this is the opportune time. But what I'm trying to tie together is we look at these two sides of prayer of take this cup, yet not my will, a prayer that Jesus prayed three times. And it seems like there is some element of love that's motivating him here, some element of destiny and fulfillment and intimacy even that he had with his father that enabled him. He was going to be Actually, being abandoned by his father, and yet he prays in abandon towards his father.
4: Yeah, and I think that's key. It's coming out of that relationship. I'm reminded of the story at the beginning of Jesus' life where he disappears, and his earthly mom and dad are freaked out because they can't find him anywhere. And so they go back to Jerusalem and they find him in the temple, and he's asking good questions. Mm -hmm. And he tells Mm -hmm. them, Well, I have to be about my father's business from very early in his life. There was this spirit of learning, but there was also this spirit of walking with his father. There's an
2: awareness Mm -hmm. of
4: doing what his father has for him to do. And so.
2: Going back to what we talked about yesterday, Elisa, that maybe this trust and intimacy that we're trying to get our heads around here is all wrapped up in that word Abba. Mm -hmm. So precious, so tender, so close. It's with the intimacy of relationship.
1: Mm hmm. If we look at life, maybe we learn obedience through what we suffer. Maybe we understand the connection between take this cup yet, not my will, honest and abandoned. By looking reflectively in our life, by looking in the rearview mirror, as Mm -hmm. you might, thinking, well, God was faithful to me when I was a teenager, and I needed decisions about do I go to school or not here or there, and what do I study? We learn it as perhaps young marrieds if we get married, you know, and how do we discern? And then we can look back and say, oh, I can see how God really called me to this person. I can see how this marriage has been good for me, even though it's been hard. We learn it with our parenting, our children. We learn it as we release our own parents to the next world. We learn it retroactively. Interactively, we learn it looking in retrospective in the rearview mirror. Yeah, I've learned that in jobs. Yeah. You know,
4: like, why have I gone from this job to that job? And how did I know what the right thing Mm -hmm. to do was? And in the pressure of a job change, I had a desperate moment of asking God to lead me. But there was also that history that I could look back on and say, oh, okay, God directed my steps here. He directed Mm -hmm. my steps there. In this moment of saying, your will be done, I can lean on that relationship that I have where I can trust him that he's leading me now too.
3: Yeah. And I wonder if we haven't all had at least one relationship that was so important to us that we lived in the influence of that person. And there was this desire we really wanted to be true to that man or that
1: woman. My grandson, um, just a few weeks ago, was making a choice about an article of clothing he was interested in buying. Okay, so he's in his early teen years, and certain articles of clothing are big deals. My husband and I, his grandfather and I, had this conversation with him, not about the amount of money, not about, you know, but it had an emblem on it that he didn't know what it meant, and we did, and we were trying to explain it to him. And he was so torn. I watched him, and I was saying, Sweet Pea, I'm not your parent. Your parents are your parents. You need to make your decision. I'm just giving you some information. And an hour or two went by, and he was still torn up. And he finally said, I'm going to try and find a way around this. And I just said, you know, it means a lot to me that even though you don't necessarily agree with my opinion, because it's my opinion, you're listening. Yeah. And I think maybe that's what you're meaning, that mm-hmm. this trust... Tim Keller made this statement in his book on prayer. He said, prayer creates honesty, which develops trust and results in surrender. Hmm. You know, we're looking at one sentence Jesus prayed repetitively on one night in his life, and it's difficult to understand the complexity of this sentence. Take this cup, yet not my will, that he prays in one breath. The reality, it's a complex sentence that's built out of eons and an infinity of a relationship of mm-hmm. intimacy. Jesus endured ultimate abandonment and abandoned himself to God. You know, Maybe it's that we can layer the learnings of Jesus and learn them ourselves as we struggle, trusting that it's mm-hmm. God's love for us then and now that carries us through in our moments of moving from take this cut to not my will, but yours be done.
0: Yeah, it is a trust that develops over time. And the more time we spend with God, the more we know his character and his nature. And the more freely we're able to flip that coin over and pray with abandon that his will be done. Well, you're listening to the Discover the Word podcast as Marty Hahn, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day join Elisa Morgan in part two of this study called When We Pray Like Jesus. And Elisa, you did this a couple of times in part one. How about if you now just kind of walk us through how you might pray the honest and abandoned sides of prayer in a specific situation? Why don't you give us an example of what it might look like and what it might sound like to pray for a marriage? Uh, you'd use what you call your prayer coin journal and do what? Okay, on the
1: left-hand side, up at the top of your prayer coin journal, you might say, take this cup of singleness. That's honest. I want to be married, God. Then you go over to the right side to abandon, not my will. I don't want to be married to the wrong person. Help me let you meet my needs for companionship. Okay, then I'm not done, though. Back over to honest. Take this cup of a disappointing marriage. Change my spouse, God. Back over to the right side of abandon, not my will. I am realizing I'm thinking more about changing my spouse than I ever think about letting you change me. Help me be the kind of spouse you want me to be, God. Back over to honest. Take this cup of struggling to change myself and my marriage. Make me the person I'm supposed to be. I don't feel like I'm making any progress. And then over to not my will, Abandon. Help me understand that you are using my marriage to form both me and my spouse. Help me let you use my marriage in this way and receive what you want to give me and my spouse in it.
0: Yeah, that's helpful. I think that gives us an idea of how we might pray both sides of prayer with something like marriage, both honest and abandoned. And When We Pray Like Jesus is also the title of a book, Elisa wrote in which you can explore further her discoveries about prayer in this model prayer Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because the truth is, you can be totally honest with God. He wants to know exactly how you feel. And when we pray like Jesus, will help you to express your deepest emotions to God and at the same time have confidence in His will for your life and that you can trust Him and His love for you. You can find a link to order a copy of Elisa's book, When We Pray Like Jesus, when you go online to our discovertheword.org website. And now back to our study on this Discover the Word podcast, When We Pray Like Jesus. And in this segment is where Elisa introduces us to the notion that coin experts talk about there being a third side to every coin, and prayer may have a third dimension as well.
1: Do you guys watch the Olympics much? Yes. And and here's what I want you to see. And even if you don't watch them, maybe you could imagine this. There is um, an apparatus in women's gymnastics called the balance beam. And on the balance beam, you'll often see a gymnast doing a pivot. I've seen that. And in a pivot, she's facing one direction and then will like hurl herself in a somersault or a backflip or sometimes just a pirouette on this beam in the other direction. You picture it? Yeah. Now, probably it. you'll come up with another illustration of a pivot, maybe in another sport. There's a pivot sure. in basketball yeah, as well. One of y'all describe that. Okay, what is that?
4: So you bring the basketball up from a dribble. Mm-hmm. Then one of your feet can turn and the other foot can go around your body. But you have to keep one foot on the ground where it doesn't move. It's your pivot foot. It's Good the job. foot that you can spin around.
1: I want us to think about this term, pivot, and see if it can inform us to answer this question. How did Jesus move from one side of the prayer coin to the other side of the prayer coin? And what I mean by we're looking at Jesus' Gethsemane prayer, his garden prayer, where he prayed what, Daniel?
4: So there's two sides of a a coin of a prayer. And one side is Father I'm in this moment of darkness. Please take away this cup. And then the other side, the side that he pivots to, Mm -hmm. is the not my will, but yours be done. Mm -hmm. So we have two sides of one prayer, Mm -hmm. which you've called the prayer coin.
1: Right. We're looking at the garden prayer. Take this cup, yet not my will. A prayer prayed in three of the four Gospels. And Jesus prayed it three times in Gethsemane. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us. And then in John, John mentions the prayer. Mm-hmm.
3: What does he say? He
1: says, Shall I not drink the cup that my father has assigned me? Right. And John is giving like the completion of the process that Matthew, Mark, and Luke represent the full account of the going back and forth of Jesus asking his disciples to stay awake, and then he goes and prays, God, take this cup yet not my will. And then he goes back and asks them to keep watch some more, and he prays it again. He goes back a third time, they're asleep, and he prays it again. So we see this process. John is showing more the end result of it. And
2: what's really interesting is that when John captures that moment, Mm -hmm. once again, Peter's involved, because it's as a result of Peter cutting off the ear of Malchus, the servant of the high priest, and Jesus says, stop this. Mm -hmm. Do you think that I can't drink the cup Mm. that my father's given me so once again we see
3: peter at odds Mm -hmm. with jesus and doing the father's will but he's anticipating the outcome at that point Mm -hmm. yeah yeah
1: so as we consider these two sides and what we've done is say you know jesus really prayed this prayer inviting his first century disciples to listen to it to keep watch with him to even enter it so that they didn't end up in temptation And they fell asleep. They didn't really take him up on it, and yet they recorded it for us. Then we are also considering, well, how does he invite us to pray this prayer? How can we join him? I mean, this is a prayer that Jesus prayed, take away the cup of the cross with the persecution, with the torture, with the death itself, all of that that was going to happen. Take it away, and yet he submits to it that we would have intimacy with God ourselves. And so what I want to look at today is we've considered the two sides, honest, we called it, take this cup, and abandon, not my will, the other side. There's a little word that seems to pivot these two sides. Mm-hmm. What word is it in the sentence? But. But. Or. Yet. Yet. Some even would translate nevertheless. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's a conjunction. A conjunction connects to opposing thoughts or sometimes similar thoughts, but that's what it does here. And I don't want to make too much of the word. It's just a word yet, (laughs) but something happens there Mm -hmm. when Jesus pivots between these very compelling sides of honest, take Mm -hmm. this cup, yet not my will. You know, I don't know if it was a momentary flipping or if it was a long process. What do you think? How did it happen?
2: Well, he prayed this prayer three times, Mm -hmm. as you mentioned earlier, Slight variations in them. What I compare it to, Elise, is Psalm 42 and 43, where you have the psalmist wrestling with, you know, as the deer pants for the water brook and talking about desperation. He says, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? And then starts into the problems Mm -hmm. again for a few verses. And then why are you cast down? And then it goes Mm -hmm. even into Psalm 43. Mm -hmm. So there's this sense of repetition to show that even as we move into these moments of prayer, the problems are still there. The realities of life don't change necessarily because we pray about something.
1: It's so human, isn't it? to see that this is an ongoing relational prayer. It's something that Mm -hmm. Jesus continues to pull in. You know, I don't know how long it took, we're not told, but it was more than a moment because this went on for a period of time. Mm -hmm. It's the middle of the night, could be as many as several hours, could be a shorter Mm -hmm. period of time, but he goes repeatedly through this prayer. So it wasn't an instantaneous prayer. It was probably more of a process, but I kind of wonder what happened in that space between take this cup yet, not my will, that shaped Jesus. And one of the things we've looked at in previous days is maybe in a way, some of his prayer was answered. And I'm getting this from Luke 22, verse 42 to 43.
4: Is this the section that we talked about last time where the angel appears and strengthens him? Yes, yes. And then he goes right back into praying again.
1: Yes. So Luke twenty-two forty-two, Father, if you're willing, take this cup, yet not my will. And then in verse 43, what happens?
2: An angel from heaven appeared uh-huh. to him and strengthened him.
1: Okay. And in being in anguish, he prayed what? More. Earnestly. It's like... The angel strengthened him in such a way, it's the same word that actually is used of Paul in Acts after he hasn't eaten and he's restored and the scales fall off of his eyes in Acts chapter 9. He's strengthened like a supernatural strengthening, which would explain why he could move from Mm -hmm. one side of the prayer to the other side of the prayer.
3: Yeah, I've been thinking about what Daniel said about the basketball pivot. (laughs) And, you know, one foot has to be planted Mm. as you move the other foot back and forth there must have been something in the pivot that you're describing that connects Mm -hmm. the one side of the coin from the other. Because even with a coin, there's one thing, but it has two sides. And in a pivot, there's one thing that remains in place, and yet it represents an
4: opposite. But they're not opposites entirely. There's at least overlap.
1: You're onto it, And that's one of the Mm -hmm. questions
4: that I had Mm -hmm. as we were talking about this, because when we were talking about pivoting, we often go from one idea to a contrary idea. Yeah. Flip flop. A good pivot has
3: to have some integrity. At the yeah. center of the pivot, there's mm-hmm. got to be something that stays true. And I
2: think something that maybe this would be a good time to throw this on the table and see what you guys think. Is this the sum total of Jesus' prayer, or is just the part that the gospel writers capture? Was the prayer longer mm-hmm. involving more of his heart and his trust or fear or whatever, you know, was involved in that moment? It seems to me like this maybe is just kind of the the Cliff top notes. sheet mm-hmm.
3: summary mm-hmm. of a much longer yeah. prayer each time. But if that is the case, that much longer prayer still came down to the same pivot. That was repeated over and over again.
1: There are echoes of the Lord's prayers we've said in this. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Actually, let's take a look at Hebrews 5, verse 7. Can one of y'all grab that?
4: During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission.
1: That echoes back to what we're saying about maybe there were some partial answers Maybe there was something in the pivot that connected him. But I also think that there is a way in which that honest prayer of going back and forth, whether we got the Cliff Notes version or the whole thing, that aligned him to the Father's desires in a different way. You know, it's interesting that in minting coins, coin experts talk about a third side of a coin, the edge. Sometimes they have reeds, uh, sometimes they have patterns like a vine or bars, but that third side of the coin is formed by a kind of a collar where the device that's holding this metal in place is stamped, and both sides at once are touched and changed. They're imprinted. But this third side reveals and that's what I'm seeing happens in these two sides of Jesus' prayer. Take this cup, yet, not my will. This yet of a pivot becomes the third side, that holds those two seemingly oppositional prayers together in one offering of intimacy to God. Take this cup, yet not my will. A prayer of honest abandon. Okay, here's a word game. How many three-letter words can you come up with? I mean, just shout them out. Dog. Sky. Dog, sky. Boy. Boy. I. Spell that for me. (laughs) E-Y-E. Thank you. Kit. Kit. Goodness, you're being creative. I love that. What else? Eat. Okay. Fun. Good. Two. This game's fun. Cat. Shit. (laughs) Shit. (laughs) Sat. Oh, we could do this a long time. And that would be a fun thing. But I want us to focus on one specific three-letter word and how it connects to our conversations we've been having. It's the word yet or the word but. We're near the end of our conversations about the prayer coin, daring to pray with honest abandon. And I want us to take home this concept of pivot that we talked about yesterday. We talked about how did Jesus move from an honest prayer of take this cup to an abandoned prayer of not my will in one sentence. How did he do this in the Garden of Gethsemane? We talked about this word pivot. You know, what was his pivot? What do we think allowed Jesus to move from honest to abandoned, What did that pivot look like for him?
4: Well, we talked a lot about relationship and the fact that he had a relationship with God where these two ideas that often for us seem contradictory or opposing what we want and what God wants, Mm -hmm. they weren't in opposition with Jesus because he had this trust and this love for his father that both could be true.
1: But to be careful to not diminish his real struggle... There were moments of opposition. It's just that he was able to hold both seemingly opposites together in one place. Yeah, he knows the of Father's his will
3: that he live as a human mm-hmm. and that he be tested.
1: And he voluntarily took the form of a yeah. man. And mm-hmm. that he suffer. Mm-hmm. If we are able to model after Jesus in all things, you know, praying the Lord's prayers, he prayed it and having the kind of relationship that he had with his father. What can we learn from him about stringing these two sometimes oppositional realities in our lives? Cause we're not mm-hmm. God. What can we learn? And what does his pivot teaches regarding how we too can pivot?
2: I think at its core, what it teaches us is that Jesus so absolutely trusted the father that we can too, Uh Hmm. that the Son, who had known him from eternity, was able to trust him with this darkest moment of his life. We can trust him with our dark moments.
1: We've spent almost two weeks now looking at this prayer that's repeated in three of the four Gospels in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but we haven't yet looked at the fourth Gospel and how this prayer is in context rather than literal So I'd like us to look at John chapter 18 verses 1 through 11 today and consider this concept of pivot. What made it possible for Jesus to move from honest to abandon, from take this cup to not my will? So let's look at John 18. It's a little bit of a different peep in the fence here, isn't it, Bill? Mm -hmm, Um, How does John's mm -hmm. account differ from Matthew, Mark, and Luke?
2: Well, the biggest thing is that John includes this high priestly prayer in 17 that the other Gospels don't give us.
3: What does that mean, high priestly prayer?
2: Well, the prayer that Jesus prays for us before the Father. And that follows the three chapters of upper room teaching following the Lord's Supper. With the others, you get the upper room Mm -hmm. and you get the Last Supper. You don't get the three chapters of teaching. Mm -hmm. You don't get the chapter 17 prayer. So now when we come to 18, We're seeing it in a different context.
1: And here in John, you don't get the literal Jesus kneeling, crying out to God. You don't even get his words, but you get the feeling that it's just happened. So let's read John, chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. You want to start us, Mark?
3: Okay, he's referring to the teachings, and he says, After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples and entered a grove of olive trees.
4: Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place because Jesus often met there with his disciples.
2: So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns,
4: and weapons.
1: Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want?
4: They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus replied, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them.
3: As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground.
2: Again he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said.
1: Jesus answered, I told you I am he. If you're looking for me, let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me.
3: And then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me?
1: Isn't it interesting? You know, here we've been wrestling the last several days with, take this cup yet, not my will. And then he went away and came back to the disciples and goes away again and prays, take this cup yet, not my will. And he comes back to the disciples and they're asleep and he goes away and prays again. This tug of war between what Mm -hmm. I want and what God wants going on in Jesus. John gives us a very different rendition. What does he say at the very end of it after Peter lops off Mm -hmm. Malchus's ear?
2: Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me?
1: It's like a settled matter.
2: And I think when you put the Gospels together, first of all, you have this front loaded with this prayer of Jesus where he's talking to his father already about things. They come into the garden and somewhere between verse 1 and 2, all the Matthew, Mark, and Luke stuff gets inserted. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then Judas comes. Mm -hmm. So trying to reconstruct the chronology, front loading all of it is this lengthy prayer with his Father that he prayed for himself, for us, and for the world.
1: And Bill, that's where I want us to go now, to try and understand the depth of Jesus' pivot. What happened in that? And I think it is in John chapter 17, specifically maybe verses 19 to 23 or so, we see the prayer that really expresses the hub of the relationship that Jesus has with his Father. Daniel, would you pick that up?
4: John 1719 to 23. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself so that they also may be sanctified in truth. I ask not only on behalf of these, the disciples, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them so that they may be one as we are one. Wow,
1: what pops out to you?
4: Yeah, the repetition of the word Mm -hmm. one, 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 we are Mm
1: -hmm. one. Mm So for Jesus to pray two seemingly opposite requests in one prayer, like you said, Mart, he was one. This was not a stretch for him. This was an expression of the intimacy that he had with his father.
2: But I think to get to the maybe the heart of the pivot, I think we need verse 23. Go ahead then.
4: Daniel, you got that still? I and them and you and me, so that they may be completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me.
2: That last yeah. part that jumps out to me is that even as you have loved me. Mm-hmm. Everything Jesus is praying mm-hmm. in the Garden of Gethsemane is in the context of the affirmation of the love that the Father has for him.
1: Mm-hmm. This prayer coin, this take this cup, yet not my will, this honest and abandoned is an expression of the painful, loving sacrifice of a son for his father, the love of a father for a son born out in this sacrificial relationship. Absolutely, to achieve our intimacy with God, but also to invite us into what we get to have. Jesus died to provide this intimacy. That's what he's doing here in the garden. He's working it out so that we too can pray this way. His pivot can become our pivot so that we can, with confidence and honesty, pray, Lord, I can't handle one more second of this pain in my marriage. I can't handle one more even breath of not being able to pay my bills. God, I don't understand what's happening Mm -hmm. in our country, and yet not my will. Yours be done, because I know that you love me, that you were for me. Your Son demonstrated that for me. That changes everything.
4: And maybe in the same way that Jesus had to go back and forth multiple times repeating this prayer, that we, when we find ourselves in those places of anxiety or stress or worry or depression or discouragement, when someone we love dies or when someone we love is sick and we've been praying for them and we don't see the resolution coming that we expect it's almost as if we are given permission to say even if you don't really get it yet just keep coming back keep coming back god please take this from me not my will god please take this from me not my will but yours be done knowing that god loves us so much that he has us in his hands regardless of whether
0: we feel that necessarily or not The power of a three letter word when we pray, the power of the pivot, even in the face of the darkest of circumstances. Our trust in God can let us pivot and pray, yet, not my will, but your will be done. And at different points in this series, Elise has taken a moment to demonstrate for us what uh, she would do in her prayer journal to pray this way in a certain kind of situation to start with honest and then pivot. To abandon and not just once but repeatedly and so Lisa, why don't you do that for us again and maybe take a situation like praying for one of our children our kids and our grandkids are possibly the people we pray for the most so what might it look like to on the page of our prayer journal dedicated to praying for them to pivot between praying the honest and abandoned sides of the prayer coin Okay, on
1: the left-hand side, up at the top, you write, honest, take this cup, protect my child, you know, maybe like with five different exclamation marks, okay? Then over to the right, abandon, not my will, though. Help me understand that you, God, love my child even more than I can. Back over to honest, take this cup, keep my child safe, God, and then carefully over to abandon, not my will, I'm realizing I'm not really sure I do trust you. I see what you have allowed, and I start doubting your love. I'm sorry. Help me to trust you more with my child. Back over to the left side to honest. Take this cup. God, please bring my child to you, to yourself, to understand how much you love my child, that you died on a cross for my child. And then over to the right side, not my will what if you want to use the very things to bring my child to yourself that you used to bring me to you? Will I let you? Will I dare get out of the way and abandon to your will?
0: And I think that is one of the tougher ones, but uh, so important in our relationship with God and our trust in him to be able to pray both sides when we pray like Jesus. Thanks, Elisa. And now let's conclude this study with a segment in which Elisa will issue a dare, a prayer dare.
1: Okay, so whether in sports or in playing an instrument or even in speaking, do you prefer practice or the performance?
2: I'll tell you what, I love playing golf, but I hate going to the driving range and just hitting balls for nothing.
3: (sighs) Uh, I'm the opposite. (laughs) (laughs) Deep
1: moment, why? Why? to both of you.
3: I can go out and hit 200 balls and love it.
1: Because mm-hmm. there's no score or what is it that's satisfying about the practice? I love the a practice? chance to
3: work on my game
1: uh-huh.
3: without it counting. <laughs> <laughs> without
1: it counting.
3: And see, for me, it's all that score. <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: like when my wife says, let's go for a walk and I say, okay, are we going somewhere or are we walking to go nowhere? <laughs> I want there to be something at the end of a this goal. that I'm working for.
1: What about you, Daniel?
4: Yeah, for me, I think of uh, playing soccer in high school And I dreaded practice during the week, but love games. Oh, I get that, though.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, My husband would be like you, Mart, though. He could hit 200 balls happily. It's cheaper, too. That'd be another part of his reason why. (laughs) So I think we are attracted to the end goal most of us are. And yet practice makes the end goal what it is. If you go out and try and play a game or hit a golf ball or play an instrument and you've never practiced, you don't know what you're doing. Anyway, as with most things in life... Practice is going to make us better at execution. And I think the same thing is true with prayer. There are certain prayers we have practiced by memorizing Mm -hmm. and saying them over and over again, sometimes in a body of believers and sometimes by ourselves. What comes to mind there? Besides, God is great, God is good. That's the
4: one that I was saying in my head. (laughs) So that's
1: one of them. But what's another prayer that we have practiced well?
2: It's called the Lord's Prayer. It's probably better described as a model. Prayer.
1: Dr. Darrell Bach calls it the disciples' prayer, yeah, because good. they come to Jesus asking, how should we pray? And then he tells them, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we memorize that, and we say it communally.
3: It's short. It's amazingly short. It mm-hmm. is,
1: and it's very comprehensive, yeah. because it deals with...
2: Everything. It deals with all the vertical stuff Mm -hmm. with our relationship with God. Mm -hmm. Then it deals with the horizontal stuff of our relationships with others and with our needs and fears and everything else. It's just all right in there.
1: And it's shared in a couple of different sections in the Gospels. But, you know, in the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at a prayer that's actually referenced in all four of the Gospels. It's absolutely shared in three of them, the account of it. And then it's referenced in John. But in Matthew, Mark, and Luke... In each of the accountings, this prayer is repeated three times. And so there may be something we can learn from practicing this prayer coin prayer. What am I talking about? Help us review here as we conclude our conversation, can you?
4: Well, we're talking about the coin, Daniel. Yeah. So the coin has two sides, just like any coin. Actually, she told us it has three sides. That's true. <laughs> just, just, to the edge. just to confuse <laughs> you. Yep. So anybody could grab one out of your pocket right now and look and see. You have a head side and a tail side, and still just one coin. And Jesus prays two things, one prayer. In um, one sentence. But two things. And on one side, he says, God, I'm in the middle of darkness. I'm in a tough situation. Can you please take this cup from me? And on the other side, flipping it over and looking at the tails, he says, but not my will, but yours be done. Mm And so we're calling it a prayer coin because there's two sides to this prayer, but it's this one prayer that Jesus prayed.
1: Awesome. And Jesus models it for us and he invites his first century disciples into praying it with him. They fall asleep and he goes back and asks them again. He goes back and asks, you know, they don't get it all, but they get it enough to at least record it for us, right? Mm-hmm. I think as we're studying in this, we're realizing that Jesus is giving us an invitation to pray this way as well. And so, What if, (laughs) just like with the Lord's Prayer, what if we made this prayer coin practice a daily practice, a take this cup, yet not my will, kind of a concentrated effort? How might our prayer life change? How might we be more honest with God, more aware of what we need to ask God for and want to ask God for? How might we grow in our trust of what He allows as we pivot back and forth between those two sides of prayer?
3: seems to me that it it depends on whether or not we practice it rather than just flippantly doing it. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things earlier, we were talking about practice or performance. We think of practice in a sport it can be painful, right? And the old coach says, without pain, there's no gain, <laughs> right? Right, right? So I wonder if, too, when it comes to doing what you're asking, what if we practiced the two sides of this coin? I can mean the first half of it. Mm-hmm. Take this suffering out of my life, Lord. Mm-hmm. But do I really mean it to a point of, painful trust mm-hmm. to say, nevertheless.
1: That's right.
4: Yeah. Especially because the further we get into these situations, the more desperate we become. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably a transition that, you know, everyone has at some point in their life is between one job and another. And let's say they get let go from one job. You know, there's some pain there at the beginning and you're worried about what's next, but whether you're fired or laid off, you have time and you feel like you have time to find something else. But then a few days goes by, okay, God, you know, Mm. can you take this transition Mm -hmm. from me? Not my will, but yours be done. And then a few more days goes by and then a week goes by two weeks or three weeks. And they're still in this transition and this pain of, I really have to find something else. And so then it becomes more and more desperate of God, please take this from me. Not my will, but yours be done, but please take this from me. Mm. And That, I think, is where that practice becomes even more life-giving and important is because we realize that it is desperate.
3: It's more painful. It requires more faith almost, more trust at that point. But I
2: think back of that, none of this works unless we really do believe God loves us. Mm -hmm. Jesus said in John 17, 23, that they may know that you love them like you love me. Mm -hmm. So unless we are really consciously aware of how much God loves us, we're going to be hesitant to pray the second half of that prayer because we're not going to quite believe it.
1: We're not going to be able to trust it. And that's why I think this practice word is so important. I've been doing this. I have a journal, and on the left hand side at the top, I open it up flat. I write, take this cup, and I put the date. And on the right hand side, I say, not my will, and I put the date. And I'm trying to do this, and Daniel, your illustration was good, about the topics before me, because rarely do you pray, take this cup, yet not my will. And I'm done. I'm all aligned. Well, Jesus wasn't
2: either, because he did it three times.
1: Exactly. So usually it's going to be several days, if not a month, or maybe even a couple of years that I'm praying certain prayers. I remember when my daughter, she had a baby when she was very young, and then she wanted to have a child with her husband. And she began to pray for that, and she became pregnant, and oh, heartbreak of heartbreak. She lost little Malachi before he was even born into this world. And it broke my heart and I'd be praying, Take this cup, yet not my will. If it helped him to live and he didn't. And then she came to me and she said, Mom, we're gonna try and have another baby. And I'm like, I don't want you to go there. And I'm writing, Take this cup of I don't want her to go there in my journal. And then she goes, Mom, if you don't want to join us in this prayer, then you're gonna miss what God does in this. And it changed me. I realized I wanted to be in control and I was holding Take this cup of control, you know. And so that journey of writing, Take This Cup, Not My Will, over weeks and months brought me forward to understand how much I was holding on to my own way. But as I began to see God's love for me, even if, no matter what, I could relinquish more. And then I would grow in his love. And I think that's what this prayer coin is about, is that, you know, eventually Eva did have another little boy, Dominic, and I would have missed it if I hadn't joined in the risk of that moment. But if we can think about so many circumstances, do I dare honestly pray before God? And do I dare allow God to align myself to him? Does it feel like something that is an everyday focus?
2: I think it feels like something that's an everyday struggle.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So here's the thing. I think this prayer often begins as a crisis prayer. I mean, that's the way we see Jesus mm-hmm. in the garden in a crisis. As we prayed in that crisis, though, it can become an everyday prayer, an everyday prayer of me trusting God's love for me and being honest with him and yielding and abandoning because I trust God's love for me to what he knows and what he wants. And in this everyday prayer, it becomes a formative prayer. It shifts me as I pendulum swing back and forth between honest and abandoned, and I pivot honest and abandoned. I think I grow in the intimacy that Jesus is mirroring for me. The oneness that he has with the Father is the real invitation of this whole topic of the prayer coin. Take this cup, yet not my will, Jesus prayed, because he knew what God had designed us to enjoy in a relationship with his Father. And he went to the cross to ultimately provide that intimacy, that we could be one as he is one with his Heavenly Father.
0: Yeah, relationship, our relationship with God, that's the bottom line in all of this. And as we follow the lead of Christ in praying, the honest and abandoned sides of prayer will be transformed. I really think we will. And so in that spirit, I hope you'll take the prayer dare and put When We Pray Like Jesus into practice. And remember, because you studied with us in this series, I really do think you'll want to get a copy of Elisa's book called When We Pray Like Jesus. There are some other resources that go with it as well, like the audio book and a DVD study Elisa leads that would work great in your small group On our website, you'll see a link to where you can get a copy of the book, When We Pray Like Jesus, and those related resources as well. Just go to discovertheword.org and scroll down to the image of the book and click there. Now, Discover the Word is about discovering the life-changing wisdom and story of the Bible together with you. And these programs are made possible thanks to the voluntary support of Friends Like You. If you'd like to support this ministry, there are at least a couple of ways you can do that, either by giving a one-time donation or by giving an automatic monthly gift as a Discover the Word partner. It's easy to give when you go online to discovertheword.org and click the Donate button. All right, well, I'm Brian Henning. i glad you were at the table for this study when we pray like Jesus. On our next podcast, Bill will lead the group in a fascinating look at how mountains show up in the story of the Bible. We're gonna have a lot of aha moments in our next series called The Gospel in the Mountains. So thanks for studying with us and we'll see you next time when we Discover the Word. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.